0: I'm Patricia Pierce. Welcome to the We Awakening Podcast. Beneath the global crises we are facing, something truly extraordinary is happening on Earth. Planetary consciousness is shifting as humankind sheds its belief in separateness and awakens to the truth of interexistence. In this podcast, we explore this awakening into unitive consciousness that will give rise to a new world. And we celebrate the luminous web that connects us all. Hello, beautiful souls. It is my honor and delight to have as my podcast guest, Rabbi Sheila Weinberg. Sheila and I have known each other for many years and have developed a really beautiful friendship. And it is my joy to share with you this conversation that we had about the current situation in Israel, Palestine. Sheila served as a congregational rabbi for about 17 years and then went on to help found the Institute for Jewish Spirituality. For several decades, she has taught yoga and mindfulness meditation to Jewish leaders all across this country and even internationally. She's the author of three books. Her, her memoir is called Surprisingly Happy. She also has a collection of poems and prose called God Loves the Stranger, and her most recent book is Let Us All Breathe Together. In recent years, Sheila has worked closely with Combatants for Peace, an organization based in Israel-Palestine, that is led by combatants on both sides of that conflict who have overcome their differences and their trauma to help work for peace. Sheila, thank you for being with me. I've really I've been looking forward to this conversation with you for several weeks and other circumstances got in the way and um, so we couldn't have it, but I've really been interested in exploring with you the current situation and and Israel, Palestine, and how you see it from your vantage point. And as someone who has, you know spent a great deal of your life going deeply into the spiritual dimension of of our own existence, and someone who has taught meditation and mindfulness for decades. and also somebody who has lived in Israel, who has worked with uh, people on both sides of that conflict. So just so that our listeners get a sense of your background, um, how long did you did you live in Israel and when was that?
1: So I went to Israel first in 1962 when I was 16. I went for a year because uh, as, a, uh, as a young person, I became completely devoted to the idea of the Jewish state and the Zionist project. Uh, as the deepest expression of Judaism. And also I was born in 1946. So that was right after the Holocaust and it was in my bloodstream. And I was also educated for that through Jewish camps and uh, the teaching was that this was the redemption. And I went as a religious Jew at the time, not so much because my parents were religious, I sort of took the religion on myself at 16, I was graduating high school, believe it or not. And I was, I went to Israel and I was confused by Israel in a few ways. One was I, there was a real gulf between being the religious and the builders of Israel. You know, I was enamored with the, uh, the pioneers, the kibbutz, the socialism. That's what really turned me on. And then I realized, you know, I couldn't really be accepted in religion as a girl. I realized that back then on some level. And I let the religion go for a while, actually, for myself. I I moved away for it, got involved in the States. So I was there for a year. Lived on a kibbutz for part of the time. And then I got involved in US uh, politics. You know, It was the war in Vietnam and college and the civil rights movement. and, And I didn't go back to Israel till the summer of 1967. Mm. which was such a threatening moment and the american jews were terrified and so were israelis that you know this was going to blot out israel and at the time i was married and my husband and i decided we were going to go volunteer in israel and we couldn't go from the states so we went from uh, england we flew to england and then we we worked and i really wanted to stay at that point again i was on a kibbutz there was like a, i had a, like this passionate love of the land and 67 was a time of such jubilation, but it seemed so apparent that we could, you know, if you look back then, that was such a turning point, that it was such a mistake to hold on to those territories.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, there was a religious passion. You know, we were going to get back to, you know, Jerusalem and the wall and Hebron and You know, these Rachel's tomb and Bethlehem, these were places that had meaning in Jewish life, but they were, they were, you know, it was a mistake. It was a mistake. So I think it began to dawn on me that it was a mistake already back then. And I think, you know, I only knew what I was told. I know. So I went back and then I still loved Israel. It was my expression of being Jewish. Mm -hmm. And I decided I wanted to study and um, become a professor of Jewish studies and I wanted to move to Israel and my husband agreed and we we moved to Israel in 72 and it was a relatively quiet period although if you think about it every period that imagined that we could live without the other was delusional there was so much delusion and I kind of realized it then even though I was there and somewhat confused and we lived through the 73 war mm-hmm. i was there during that which was terrifying but just because of my own upbringing i never could be a I was never a militarist mm-hmm. even though i you know i saw the way the or but again i was a child of the holocaust very close so the desire for survival was so great so these both conflicting things and and you know i i returned to israel in the 80s for a year and Many other times I was there during the Intifada, visiting my son who moved to Israel and lived there for some years. And uh, after we came back, I, I realized in 74, I realized I wasn't going to live there anymore. But um, I had a big involvement with it, big involvement. As a rabbi, I led trips to Israel. I did a trip to Poland and Israel. Uh, you know, it's very, and, it, and for the Jew, you know, for the Jews of my generation, very different generationally, it was very tied up with, and it, in its history, it was very tied up with the Holocaust. Zionism existed, came out of Jewish anti-Semitism and nationalism in Europe, and the desire to be free and safe. And and, you know, you read any Jewish text is a longing for a return to the land. And what is that? What is that? What does that mean? You know. Um, so yeah, my last trip there uh, went in 2018. I was in 2014. I met Palestinians through a group called Encounter, and that was during the Gaza War of 2014. And I was, that was unbearably painful for me to hear their stories. And then we got involved with combatants for peace, former uh, soldiers, both Palestinians and Israelis who joined together to work for peace in the end of the occupation. And we went on a trip in 2018 with them, which was very moving. So I really saw the dual narrative and that was what was important to us and me, my husband. And then we uh, started kind of doing a, a local group and eventually became the Philly chapter of American Friends of Combatants for Peace, and we took a trip again in 2022, right before the U.S. election and the Israeli election, and before Netanyahu returned to power. And um, that was very intense, but we have a kind of a local group that has witnessed, it was really important to witness the other. Yeah. So, yeah. It's and you, kind of like and, history in a nutshell
0: <laughs> yeah and and your your involvement with combatants for peace over and you're becoming you've become much more involved in in recent years how has that experience changed you or shaped you or changed your your view of things and and say more about the dual narrative
1: Yes, Um, both of the combatants trips that we were on were run by this organization called Mejdi, was founded by a Palestinian, uh, Aziz Abu Abusara, and there was a Palestinian and a Jewish-Israeli tour guide on both of those trips. And every place we went, whether it was a Jewish site or a, a Christian site or a Muslim site or whatever, they both spoke from their viewpoint, and it was amazing. It Mm -hmm. was amazing Uh, because you realize that mostly we're exposed to one narrative, whatever it happens to be through our press. And the combatants, uh, we visited them and we met them and we heard their stories. And um, I was just so impressed with their ability to transcend. Uh, These are people who are former fighters. So they were committed to violence, both.
0: And enemies
1: of one another enemies of one another and how they manage to transcend Mm. that bifurcation and to actually be allies they they love each other you know and and work together work together I mean it's it's very challenging in this moment very challenging there are other groups like that but it's so challenging to do that And I was so inspired by them that I thought, oh, my God, I want people to know that this is possible because uh, we don't realize it's possible. And it's so easy to just get stuck in, you know, but it's we're the victim. I know We're the victim.
0: Right. Yes. And that uh, and also, I mean, just a couple of things that you've mentioned that uh, you've touched on and I'd like to explore them more deeply. And one is the role of trauma that's playing out and intergenerational trauma um, let, let's let and, and the other thing I want to explore with you will uh, is as you described your love for the land and and that deep passion that is in in you as a jewish person for this ancestral land and how that dimension plays out but but let's start with the trauma because the, the one and only time i visited israel and it was a very short visit I'm, I'm certainly no expert but one of the things that that really was so evident to me is that everyone here is carrying trauma it goes so deep um and i think you know we Maybe we in this in the United States have more comprehension of the trauma that Jewish people carry. I mean, this is I'm going to just like riff here for a moment, because, you know, the trauma that Jewish people carry, not just from the Holocaust, but that was sort of like the the eruption of this anti-Semitism that had played out for centuries. And I also want to bring in this other dimension of this conflict, which is colonialism and because you know the jewish diaspora was the result of colonialism you know the roman empire and the the revolt against the roman empire and the empire destroys the temple and the jews you know flee and so all of these levels this historic pattern of colonialism and and that piece of territory in the on the globe has been subject to so many empires for so for millennia so there's that and and to me that speaks to how much this current conflict is not an issue of two peoples or two religions this is a global pattern that belongs to all of us and it's the pattern of colonialism and before israel was was established the people in that land were colonized by the British Empire. So it's like wave upon wave upon wave of displacement, of subjugation, of trauma. So anyway, that's that's enough from me. But I want to hear your take on that.
1: Wow, wow, wow. Well, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Intergenerational trauma, no question about it. And um, yeah, the Ottomans before the uh, British you know, um, power, power, really. When I hear about colonialism, it's power exploitation. Um, Power and exploitation, the strong over the weak. I mean, that's the story, that's the story. And expulsion, you know, and Jews have suffered expulsions, like you mentioned, from the the Roman Empire before that, the Babylonians. Mm -hmm. And for so many places, the Jews, if you look at Jewish history, it's one expulsion after another. And here we have the palace is like a projection, like we're doing to the Palestinians what was done to us. That's what trauma does. An abused child, you know, will become a parent who abuses their child. If there's no healing, that's what happens. Trump for the not, not, all the time, but enough of the time. That is what's so what is so incredibly tragic, and that's why I was referring to. Moral injury. I mean to feel, oh my God, we are doing. We meaning the Jewish people. Okay, it's not a government I would have ever supported. Just as the Trump government is not my. I I I'm completely I'm, I'm Jewish, but I'm not at all a Netanyahu person or his followers, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not the way I understand Judaism. Um, But we, I still have to say we, I still identify we, I can't help doing that because I feel that we are doing to the Palestinians what we have, what has been done to us. Yeah. And that is heartbreaking. Yeah. And of course, the Palestinians would do the same thing back. It goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Nobody you know until you and that's why the combatants, you know, going back to the combatants, have stepped out. They have healed their trauma. The mm-hmm. only way they can do what they do is because they have faced and healed their trauma and their people's trauma. And that's what's so amazing. And they're fighting for the end, you know they're they're activists. They're not just theorists, and they're not just sitting around in a the room, they are activists. To end the occupation and ultimately self determination. I mean, you you can't throw out the uh, Jews and you can't throw out the Palestinians. I mean, right.
0: yeah, and that's the nature of this particular conflict. It is so. If you really look deeply, it is so apparent that it's it's ludicrous to think that you can take one side or the other. It, it's simply fallacious. I had I had a dream. <laughs> well, I'll get into my dreams later, but um, the idea that there is a clear distinction and a black and white answer to this is just fantasy. It's simply fantasy. So, So how do we expand our capacity to, as you're saying, hold both narratives? And what I'm witnessing here, and you and I have talked about this, is this Well, you and I talk a lot about consciousness and about uh, transcending dualistic consciousness and experiencing unitive consciousness. And this to me seems like such a quintessential example of dualistic consciousness and how it plays out in the world. And there is this almost expectation that we take sides and that if we express compassion for one quote, side, we are automatically then opposed to the other side. So to really open our hearts so that there is space for everyone, and that everybody's suffering is, is just as important to us, like there, there's, an, there's an equality in it.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Again, that's why I was so attracted to the combatants. There are other groups They're standing together. There's a group called our advisor to there are several. Unfortunately, you know, the media, the powers that be the people that want to control love and want it's both the desire for power and it's an inability to expand. You know, it's a desire for control in the sense of we have a position and we know and we're right. Self-righteousness, you know, uh, just feeling safe because to be open to both and you know the non-dual really takes some practice
0: yeah yeah right
1: you know and and it and takes some courage in a sense because you know what what's the matter with you aren't you you know showing up for this and aren't you showing up for that aren't you standing with israel aren't you you know standing with palestine and what's the matter with you and yeah um, so then you start feeling, oh God, you know, maybe there's something the matter with me, right? He was like, calm down and quiet down and open up, you know, it's just like mm-hmm. that's where the mindfulness comes in. Um, and I don't have answers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the desire for answers, too. And the press is so great. They want answers, they're giving you answers, always answers, mm-hmm. and manipulation, so much manipulation. On all sides. I mean, I tend to, uh, you know, depends where you read. I I find sources that I feel are spacious enough that I can, you know, find some support there. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Somebody who's been on my mind lately is somebody that you connected me with, um, your friend Paula Green, who has since left the planet in her embodied form but i had the opportunity to interview her many you know a few years ago and the amazing piece work peacemaking work that she did in some of the most troubled places in the world you know like rwanda and you know, she she would go into these places where there was this need to heal the trauma. And, and I remember one thing that she told me that just really stuck with me. She said that when she goes into one of these situations, she lets the people know that she is not going to be impartial because that's humanly impossible. What she's going to be is multi-partial. So she would tell people, I'm going to stand with you all of you, like to be in solidarity with everybody who is part of this conflict. And I feel like that's what's being asked of us right now, is to be multi-partial and to not exclude anybody from our arena of of concern. Maybe you can say more about Paula if you feel moved to do that. Oh, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I miss her. I miss her. Uh, paula is the one who one of the two people actually the other was rachel cowan who connected me to combatants originally Paula was a consultant for combatants when they first started wow. not surprisingly right yeah and um yeah i knew paula um from about when i first moved to amherst 1989 before she got into this piecework. work and it it she was an amazing person therapist psychologist and, and a Buddhist had done a lot of Buddhist training, tremendously passionate person and compassionate person who just had this amazing capacity and willingness and courage and felt called to go to these places. <laughs> you know, and it's not like she resolved or solved things everywhere. but you know she definitely helped heal. She definitely d- did healing wherever she went. I mean, I think she started with Bosnia and that whole Bosnia-Serbia was the first place yeah. she went. But she was also in Nepal and she she taught conflict transformation. My son actually trained with her. He did his master's with her. And then she got a group of people from East Asia, from India and Pakistan to run their own conflict transformation group. Incredible, incredible. Someone should write a book about Paula. She mm-hmm. never published her own book. She almost did. She was working on it. And she never did. I mean, it would be a, really a worthy thing to, to write about her life. Mm-hmm. Her brother is a, um, a very well-known Jewish scholar and rabbi, Art Green, specialist in Jewish mysticism.
0: Wow, you know, that's great. He's a
1: teacher of mine, actually. That's how I met Paula.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, so her, you know, her example... Is just, you know, it's like it's it, to me, it's sort of like one of those north, you know, north stars for us to like, how do, we, how do we heal the depths of this trauma? How do we transcend the dual narrative? And I think that she really exemplified that.
1: Now, the thing is, you have to be willing to enter into that kind of a conversation, right? So, and that, and not that many people. Are, actually, I uh, somebody told me a story about uh, somebody in our area wrote a book called Both and Thinking, which is kind of in the same. And they were teaching something at a synagogue and someone said, well, can you apply both and thinking to uh, Hamas? And uh, one of the people there who was in charge said, no, they're purely evil. Now, if you're already taking that position, what do you say? You know, you have to be already willing. The people who came on our trip um, and they saw it was a, a dual narrative and they knew they were going to be, we stayed in East Jerusalem, which is the Palestinian part. And we stayed in Bethlehem. They didn't stay in the Jewish area and we weren't all Jews in the group. Mm-hmm. But for the Jews to stay in East Jerusalem was like already a big thing. And to actually be in, in, in willing to be led on a trip by a Palestinian was already an act so i don't know how you work with people who say that's not i don't buy that i i'm i don't buy that we are the ones we are the good ones ones. they are the bad oh oh i see
0: right yeah and
1: less than animals
0: right and and you and i have also talked about how you know, what What plays out in the world is the projection of what's playing out inside of us. So, uh, you know, I like you're saying, you can't force anybody into this deep work. And, and those of us who are willing, like that's our contribution, that's our task.
1: That's right.
0: And if we are shifting our own consciousness, we are having an effect on the consciousness of the whole.
1: Yes, yes. Yes, yes. And even to raise the existence of that possibility, even if a lot of people are going to say, ah, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. I agree. It doesn't matter because we're raising that possibility. Right. You know, and it just, you never know what your impact will be. You just never know. And that's what we're called to do. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's as clear to me as it could possibly be, you know, with whatever limited energy I have, you know, I, I, <laughs> at this age and stage, you know, it's not, uh, it's not dramatic.
0: And really we are, I think what, you know, the, you and I and, and so many others really feel this desire to, to embody the new way, to be the new way. And whether that happens on some big global scale or just in your own life and your own being, it's like, it's all contributing. It's all contributing to that. And right now there's a, yeah, go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to say, there's a lot of intergenerational uh, tension
0: mm.
1: right now in yeah. the Jewish world. Yeah. Um, which is, this, which I feel can have the same thing applied, you know, uh, you know the young people may see a young person has had a completely different let's say just young jewish person mm-hmm. you know the same thing is true for palestinian but okay um a young jewish person has had a completely different relationship to the holocaust and the state of israel than i at 77 born in 1946 have had right. so they are very likely to draw different conclusions And I don't want to say to them, your conclusions are ridiculous. Right. You know, I don't want to say that. Even if I may feel somewhat confused, threatened, afraid, whatever, of their conclusions, I want to understand them. Yeah. If they're willing to share with me, I'm really eager to understand them.
0: Yeah. I think it was an Ezra Klein podcast I listened to where someone was I don't remember her name, a rabbi, I think she's in California, was.
1: Oh, Sharon Brass.
0: I may may totally be conflating things, but Sharon Brass was talking about the generational differences. Yeah. 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 And how younger people have only ever seen a very militaristically strong Israel. And (laughs) they have no concept of a vulnerable Israel. Like, that's not part of their. Exactly, worldview at all. It's not part of their experience.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, the generations are quite different. I mean, what what's upsetting to me right now, and I don't know how to really how to deal with it, but I do. And in Israel, what's happening is more militancy, more move to the right among the young people. Mm-hmm. The American Jews are moving to the left. The Israeli Jews are moving to the right, and they're embracing this um, messianic Judaism, just mm-hmm. like we have christianity you know yeah. messianic yeah. christianity or fundamental whatever you want to call it and we have that all around the world that notion of you know we have the truth and i think it's a response to how complicated life is
0: oh uh, yes you know
1: the climate That's... especially and just you know the rise of feminism and all of that, you know, and 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 the media and you know the meat and and AI and the internet. You know, it life is so complex. So let's get it right and make it simple. And we'll tell you what's right. The dictator, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's the religious dictator or the secular dictator, and they're in a cahoots. You know, Trump is in cahoots with the Christian right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: And Netanyahu is in cahoots with the um, Jewish right, even though neither Trump nor Netanyahu are the least bit religious. But it's a total, it's a solution. It's an answer. Right. i craving for that. I understand that. I don't know how, you know, in my own practice, I can see it but i i don't know how we are to communicate something because what we offer is subtle, more subtle mm-hmm.
0: yeah there's nuance there's complexity there's yeah i yeah i i totally get what you're saying that there is this sort of backlash towards the the complexity of the world right now the search for the security of simple answers and the people who will enforce them. <laughs> so I'm curious, Sheila, when you, how, how does, you have such a deep practice of meditation and mindfulness, and you are steeped in the Jewish story and the, you know, like the, the, the tenets of that spirituality and that spiritual expression. How does all of that inform you in this particular moment?
1: Well, um, the contemplative practices are very important to me meditation, yoga. They just create the space. It's about creating space, expansion, not constriction. And when I see constriction, I have enough practice that hopefully I can see, oh, there's constriction, I'm not going to act out of that constriction place. Whether it's in interpersonal relationships, you know, or in uh, you know ideals, I know that constriction is not a good place for wisdom and response. And so I can soften there, whether it's in the, you know, through yoga, the yoga practice still all about that making space or the meditation. As far as my Jewish practice goes, it's interesting. I, um, I do teach Torah uh, in a meditation group. So I have a regular group that I teach. And um, since and I we go back just to the weekly portions of the Torah, and um, I I don't speak every week. I do every other week. I teach, so it gives me a chance to look at the text, and I I, um, I live with that text, even though I don't agree with everything about it. And they have many interpretations, and it's been interpreted so many ways. One text has. This side. I mean, this is the Jewish path. Multiple interpretations that are completely contradictory. (laughs) Multiple
0: narratives. Multiple narratives. narratives.
1: (laughs) That's what the Talmud is. You know, I I do a page of Talmud, at least sort of check it out every day. I can't say I study it every day. (laughs) And, you know, there's this rabbi, that rabbi, this is 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 what it is, that, and so much. And, but, but I focus on teaching the Torah, which is just, and I, and I, have taken the authority of teaching my narrative, my interpretation of the narrative, Mm -hmm. which goes, and then we sit for 20 minutes, so people have an opportunity to, you know, I let people know this is in contradiction with a lot of the way it's been looked at, but this is the way I'm looking at it. Hey, they took their authority, you know, I'm taking (laughs) my authority, you could take your authority, hey, what the hell, you know, who are they? You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. The other thing I've done in my Jewish practice is interesting. Well, two things. I with the COVID, I found a synagogue that I can really feel very close to, which is in New York, even though I'm in Philadelphia, so I can go online to this congregation which has really deep spirituality and really good politics for the most part. So I find it, you know, which is hard to find. I had to go all the way to New York, but with the the online stuff, I can do it. But I did find uh, my son, thanks to my son, we've had an amazing congregation in Philly that I go to when he's around and the grandkids are around, which is it's in South Philly and it's orthodox in a way, in, in the way that they say all the words. And they read the whole Torah. They don't cut. They have a so the machitza. The men are on one side. The women are on another side. And they have a non-binary section.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: And the rabbi is a woman. And she sits oh. right next to the men. And she basically tells, and she runs things. She's a very powerful young woman who amazes me. So, I mean, I fought against women's section. Men's saying that would be anathema to me. That I would sit in the women's section. That's you know what, this is a new narrative. I'm sitting with the rabbi, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, right. Crossing the boundaries, in it's in like one another, way. While it's another the... <laughs>
1: yeah. universe, you know. It's and yeah, uh, I can't say all the words, frankly, of the tradition, mm-hmm. yeah. But there is so good, and her teaching is always very on point, point. Mm-hmm. and her spiritual power is like palpable. So Yeah, you-
0: and that's you know what you say about you can't say all the words and, and and these traditions emerged and evolved in in a different era. And I really do agree with you that this is a time to claim our own authority to speak to the times that we are in because they're so different, (laughs) so different in some, in a lot of ways, they're very different. And in a lot of ways, they're very much the same in terms of, you know, how we operate as human beings and this tendency to, you know, see the other as the enemy and all of that.
1: And a lot of it comes out of the trauma. Yeah. And the Jewish idea of being chosen which is also Islam and also Christianity, Mm -hmm. that it's just us. We are the ones, we are the favorite child of God. That to me comes out of trauma or Mm -hmm. a desire for power, or it comes from a place of limitation and constriction. Yeah. Whereas, and that was where I went back to Judaism when I realized I could do it without the chosen people. That was Mordecai Kaplan. That was Reconstructionism. And I can't pray saying, you chose us. To me, that is
0: out yeah. out yeah. of the field. And the only way to say that is to say, you chose all of us, <laughs> you know, to expand it, that there is like, and you know, love has no boundaries. It is limitless it doesn't choose. It doesn't. So this dream that I had, I had a couple dreams. This one I had quite some time ago, but I'm, I'm, I'm with this group of people and there's some polarization and I don't even remember the details. But I, what I do remember is that I, what I said to them is earth only has one side, you know, like a sphere doesn't have different sides. And then there was another dream I had maybe last week. And I'm, I'm in a car, I'm driving behind this, it's a car or a truck or something, and it has this flag flying on the back of it that is an amalgam of the Israeli flag and the Palestinian flag. It's an amalgam. And they 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 make some gesture towards me, and I can't do it. It's not physically possible with my hands, but it was very much like Star Trek, uh, live long and prosper, <laughs> except... Their fingers would sort of curl on the tips, which I can't really do. But it was a gesture. I looked it up in the dream. I looked it up. I Googled this gesture, like, what is this? And it's a gesture of solidarity with both Israelis and Palestinians. Oh, my God. And that it be based on the live long and prosper Star Trek. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, really like to let ourselves, to, to not fall into this trap of, you know, the either-or thinking, the dualistic thinking, and and to really stand in the truth that love knows no bounds, love excludes no one, compassion embraces all beings. And the other thing that I was thinking about this morning, Sheila, is when I was looking at the news, you know, there's another resolution coming before the UN about a ceasefire in Gaza. And and the thing that I realized is the lasting ceasefire begins in us, in our own beings. Are we observing a ceasefire?
1: It's so, so hard. It's so hard. You know, again, you know, to speak for Israelis or Palestinians when we're here in a relative safe space. Right. Not that we can't get shot on the street in Philadelphia, but, you know, it's, it's very hard to do that, you know. And I especially
0: to... in, in the midst of trauma.
1: I, that's what I mean. Exactly. Yeah. So,
0: yeah, the way I see it is those of us who are not in the thick of it, right. we are the ones who can do that. Exactly, we <laughs> have the ones
1: who work to articulate that possibility right. and lift that up. There right. is a group in Israel, Palestine, Israel, I guess, um, called the Land for All. Do you know that group? Have you come no. across it? It's Israelis and Palestinians together, and they have this idea of this confederation of two different states. I mean, they have a political idea, but they they work together on this. You know, there are groups doing this there. Yep. So to make that known here and let people be able to support that because you don't That's get true. that it was mentioned there have been mentions little bits more sleeping into our like into the New York Times the little bits and pieces but mostly you get the polarized yeah. so lifting that up you're right we who are not traumatized in right. the moment. Can lift that up,
0: yeah. I mean, right and that's really what, what I was. Anti-Semitism with.
1: is a whole other story because the Jews in this country are now being traumatized by all the news about anti-Semitism. I know,
0: I know. It just goes on and on and on.
1: There was a bomb threat in my daughter's synagogue where she's the educator. There was a bomb threat in I don't know hundreds of synagogues. A bomb mm-hmm. threat. Anybody can press a button a bomb threat a, a zillion places. You know what I mean? Crazy. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a place where your kids are. If it, you know you belong to a place where your kids are in a place where there's a bomb threat, it's a little traumatic.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So
1: yep. that's all part of the reality too. Yep. And just, yep. to just yep. keep making space. You know, just keep making space, as you said, and making and and letting love in.
0: And there again, as you you know that to not expect that of those who are in the thick of the conflict. But it's almost like, you know, I see, because this is a global, this is a global narrative. Yes, yes, yes. That's playing out. And, And for those of us who can hold that space in ourselves, for those of us who can engage in the inner ceasefire, we are supporting the the healing process even though we may not be able to see it yes yes we're yes. we're putting that into the collective field
1: yes 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 i really do agree i really do agree and that's why i feel like you know the, all the work i did over those years in teaching mindfulness and bringing it to the jewish world was was worthwhile
0: yeah Absolutely. Well,
1: you know, and you know, you have to apply it everywhere. You have to apply it in your inside, in your smallest relationships, in your family, mm-hmm.
0: and towards yourself. The ceasefire and
1: towards which yourself, well. which is the hardest, yep. in many ways.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, you know, you 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 had a piece not too long ago about judgment,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. which is such a Common and problematic and familiar, you know. I don't want to say it's an enemy because I don't want it to have to be an enemy, but a factor yeah. of that divider, that divide, separator, mm-hmm. divider, separator. You know. Yeah. Um, and not to hate it, it arises. You know, it's there for our protection. But can we see it? Can we release it? That's a huge piece of the practice. I mean, that's the other side of the practice.
0: Yeah. Yes, to see what arises and not to judge it. Right. Including when, right. including when it's judgment that's arising.
1: <laughs> including judgment is arising and self-judgment.
0: And self-judgment. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, Sheila, is there anything else you'd like to speak to before we wrap up?
1: Well, I guess if anybody's interested in, in the uh, Philly. Friends of the American Philly chapter of the American Friends of Companions for Peace. They should be in touch with me. I suppose put you on the list. And they have a wonderful website. The the um, American Friends of Companions for Peace have a great website. So
0: they do. So people can look that up and
1: look that up. And okay, great. That's one one message um, dear to my heart and part of our. Our process here, and our yeah. practice, and our prayer.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Thank you, Patricia. So yeah. great to well, share this you. with you. I thank appreciate you, it so you much. Yeah. I really do. Thank you. We thank cherish you. you. Likewise, Pat all your will,
0: beautiful. Teaching. And we'll see one another soon. Good. Be yeah. well. Bye. Bye.